Well, like, I, like we've said in the past, this summer, we're uh, going through the Bible and we're talking about the issue of belonging. And as a result, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is our preaching text for the day. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 12, uh, this is an interesting chapter to, to deal with belonging because we're looking at a church in history that was a mess. It was a mess. Belonging was hard to come by in this church. To a grander life together, a life of spiritual connection in the Holy Spirit. And to that end, we'll listen to this life in the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And another, the interpretation of of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, in all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As a Briton comes forward, I just remind everybody that part of what we do at South Charlotte Prez is we encourage young pastors, give them reps, just like you got to learn to to hit a baseball with reps, so you got to learn to preach your reps. And so we're honored to have Britton preaching this morning. So, brother. Thank you for bringing the word to us. Thank you. Well, good morning. As Dean said, my name is Britton Bruton, who turned eight months yesterday, is just starting to crawl, and he's sort of starting to walk. And I tried to pick him up yet today, actually, as we were preparing, and he took a few steps, and, but he can't really walk on his own, so I appreciate you letting me learn to walk on my own here with you all. Well, if you've been with us past several weeks, Dean mentioned that we've been going through a series on belonging. We've been looking at what it means to have a place and a space, what it means to find ourselves as Christians, strangers in a strange land, resident aliens, as two theologians called us, here, and to know that even though we are strangers, this is where we're meant to be. Last week, Josh walked us through Romans 12, 
We saw the duties of belonging, the duties of love, of hospitality, of service. And today, as we continue our series, we're actually going to take a look back. We're going to move back a couple steps and see what lies on the subtext, what lays the foundation for that service. And in the passage that we have before us, we actually have really what is arguably the most important passage when we talk about what it means to belong as the people of God. And what's interesting about 1 Corinthians 12 is that as Paul is moving the Corinthians through sort of what it means to live as the people of God, correcting their errors, he comes upon in this one situation a scenario that, that requires a before now unforeseen metaphor. Now, Paul knows his Old Testament very well. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was an Old Testament scholar. And if you read his letters, they're loaded with pictures and images that flow out of the Old Testament. And what strikes us with this passage is that Paul doesn't use any of those. And in fact, in Paul's mind, what he has to do to get the Corinthians to understand what it takes to belong, he has to go back to the toolkit, he has to go back to his resources and give them a brand new picture of what it means to be the people of God. And herein lies the profundity of it, because Paul doesn't really elaborate. He simply says, you are the body of Christ. And then he lets the image do its work as it corrects and exhorts and encourages. He doesn't really interpret what he says. Instead, he simply places this very visceral image in front of us, But Paul has a point. Being the body of Jesus means something to Paul. And the overall point of this sermon is to basically give a 30,000 foot view of what that means. And thankfully, we get a point across. And so he's given us a thesis statement, as it were, that we're going to use as our launching point. If you will look at me, will look with me, excuse me, at verse 7. Paul writes, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This, if nothing else, is the central point of Paul's entire passage. In fact, probably from chapter 12 up to chapter 15, this is Paul's entire point. That each of us, through the same Spirit, have been given a variety of gifts, abilities, services, workings, and all for the purpose of building up and serving the body of Christ. Now, as we parachute into 1 Corinthians 12, we probably need to get our bearings a little bit as we look into what Paul has to say for us. For those of you who don't know, as Dean mentioned, it's a messed up church that Paul's addressing. In essence, 1 Corinthians, the entire letter, is basically one massive groan from Paul to the Corinthian church. There's a classic Bob Newhart skit, if you're familiar with the Bob Newhart show, where this woman comes in to him, and he's a psychiatrist, and he's listening to her, effusing all of her problems and gushing the issues in her life and what's going on, and there's silence for about five seconds, and Bob Newhart's looking at her, shaking his head, or nodding his head, and He says, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, what I want you to do is I I want you to stop it. 
And she looks at me and says, that's right, I, I just want you to stop it. Stop everything. Stop the problems. This is basically what Paul's doing. Is he's looking at the Corinthians, he's reading the letter that they sent him, and he's nodding his head along, and he's like, okay, because you're doing it very poorly. The church is being torn apart by abuses, by sin. Those who are rich, those who are more spiritually gifted, or apparently so, are lording it over the weaker members of the body. And it seems that in the minds of the Corinthian leaders, they had a very clear idea of who belonged there and who didn't belong there. Who could hold a place and who couldn't. It was a test of power, of competence, of ability. Basically, these were a whole bunch of type A's who thought everyone else should be type A. It, belonged, it concerned things of the flesh, engineered by human means to justify themselves before God. And as Paul addresses those Corinthians, he's addressing them to correct their misperception. He's addressing them to retool their criteria for and basis of inclusion in the body of Christ. And that effort actually begins all the way back in chapter 1. I won't make you turn there, but listen to how he addresses the church in Corinth. He says, the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul begins his letter by saying that it's God who has done everything for the Corinthian church from the very beginning. He sanctified them, he called them, he joined them into fellowship with his son. And anything else that has to be worked out about the Christian life, anything else that needs to be retooled about our belonging, about their inclusion, must work out from this very basic point. Whatever else we say about our belonging in Jesus as the church and as individuals starts here. It is built on the triune God all the way down. So with that in mind, I want you to see three things that Paul has for us in 1 Corinthians 12. Like I said, this is a 30,000-foot overview. We're not going to be able to dive into the specifics of the chapter. We're basically just getting a feel of what Paul says for us. So here's the three things. First, I want you to see the same spirit, that variety of gifts that make up our belonging. And, and third, I want you to see the common mission that we share in light of our belonging. The same spirit, different gifts, and a common mission. Look with me, if you will, in verse 1 of chapter 12. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The Greek here is a little ambiguous when Paul writes spiritual gifts. Most translations read that, but there are good reasons to think that what Paul is actually saying is he's not actually getting to spiritual gifts yet. Because what the Greek really says is spiritual things, or probably more appropriately, things of the Spirit. Paul's concern is not just with spiritual gifts, but as he addresses the Corinthian church, he's addressing them and their entire fact of being in the Spirit of God. Beginning in chapter 12, Paul sets about to rearrange their understanding of the Spirit and how the Spirit comes into play for the Christian. And Paul's main point in all of 1 Corinthians 12 is that belonging in the Spirit cannot be separated from belonging in Jesus Christ. In fact, if you are in Jesus, you have to be in the Spirit. There is no other option. 
Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to just a couple chapters. Look with me at verse 44. Speaking of the resurrection, Paul is waxing eloquently about what it means to be raised with Jesus, and he's using Jesus as an exemplar. He says, it, that is the body, is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became, became a life-giving spirit. That last Adam Paul is referencing is, is Jesus Christ. With his resurrection, Christ actually became a spiritual being. Paul doesn't mean that Jesus became immaterial. He was raised as a body. Nor does it mean that Jesus became spiritual but not religious. Paul means that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was first raised by the power of the Spirit, as Romans 1 says, and two, by his resurrection, Jesus actually introduces into the world a brand new way of living. It's a life in the Spirit, a life reliant on the Spirit. And to be in Jesus Christ is to belong to him and to be a member of his body is to be introduced to and inaugurated in this life in the Spirit. And so when Paul says spiritual things or things of the Spirit, he's addressing the core of the Christian life. And the Spirit is not just an additional extra to the life of the believer. Instead, Paul wants to make clear that the life in the Spirit is the only life for those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that Spirit life begins at the moment of belief. Paul says in verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. As soon as we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, the Spirit is already working to begin in us a new life and a new creation. While I was driving from Fort Collins to Denver just last week for my flight back home, there was an ad that came on the radio about a gun store and gun range. Apparently, there's some really good gun ranges out there for all you NRA members. But an ad came on for this, radio or this gun store, and they're offering a special membership the membership deal was $50 a month, and members could shoot as much as they could use lockers on the premises, they could avail themselves of a variety of amenities. Now, these benefits were offered to the members. They were offered. You pay $50, and if you want to, you can make use of these. Members did not automatically receive them. They had to make use of them. They were happy extras. You know, you pay $50, and you get a little happy extra. But this is exactly what membership in Christ is not like. You don't get to pick and choose what part of the Spirit you get. You don't get to pick and choose about whether you're going to resource the Spirit. The Spirit is not an amenity that we get to use. The Spirit is not an extra. He is the entire substance of the Christian life. As we belong to Jesus, as we are united to him, we are maintained and realized by the work of the Father, the Spirit of Christ, that binds us into fellowship with him. And because we all share this same spirit, something else takes place. We don't just belong to Jesus, but we find that we actually belong to each other. We're connected, as it were. 
through bone and sinew and tissue of the Spirit. As we come into Christ as strangers and aliens, as we come into Christ as awkward, fumbling, sinful middle schoolers, people who have no place in the presence of God, the Spirit takes us and He begins to make us look more and more like Jesus. He begins to remake us as we are in him, as we are in Christ, and as we are connected to each other, the Spirit of God takes what we were completely disparate, unruly people. Paul says that we were hating God and hating one another. And he makes us into a community that actually belongs. We come in by faith, and that's it. The Spirit takes us and remakes us. And it's all him. Look with me at verse 12 of chapter 11. I'm sorry, verse 11 of chapter 12. All these, that is the spiritual gifts, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. As we walk in Christ, we receive the Spirit, and the Spirit does with us, does with us as he wills. But this brings us to our second point, the belonging with different gifts. When we belong to Jesus... We belong in the same spirit, allocates and distributes a variety of things to, to make up the body of Jesus. We just looked at how the spirit makes up the entire environment and context of the Christian life. But he also festations, the service, the gifts, and each of these align with us in a symmetrical way to our placement in the body. Now, we aren't going to be able to deal with the spiritual gifts individually, nor address some of the more common questions of their continuity. We simply don't have time. If you want to know more, Dean would love to talk to you about that. What I want us to see today is two things about these gifts. I want us to see first the diversity. This is going to be pretty easy to see. See the diversity of the gifts. And second, I want us to see the unity of the gifts. The diversity and the unity. First, the diversity of the gifts. You see, even though we come into the same spirit, we have the same body, this fact does not obscure our individuality in Christ. Each of us carries a host of different stories, of experiences, of abilities that we bring, or more appropriately, Christ brings with us when he rescues us. Our union with Christ and his body does not eradicate our individuality. Instead, our union with Christ and his body gives us space so our individuality may flourish and become what it was meant to be. To get a feel of what I'm talking about, let's look at what Paul actually calls spiritual gifts, keeping in mind what we have just said about what spiritual means, the new life in Christ, the new creation that is brought about through Christ's work. So the first passage we'll look at is verses 8 through 11 of chapter 12. We read this, or Dean read this, so I'm just going to list the different gifts that we see. We see the utterance of wisdom. We see the utterance of knowledge. We see faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, the ability to distinguish between spirits. We have tongues and the interpretation of tongues. As Presbyterians, we normally just look totally past this section. We just go right on by. But here, Paul is listing what we would normally think of as spiritual gifts. 
right? These are the special things only special people have and may not have anymore. So what's the point talking about them? But Paul's intention is not to give us an exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts here. These are merely representative. It's like a job description, you know? You read the responsibilities of the job and you get to that very last item. It's always there that says any other responsibilities or challenges asked of the employee. And really what that means is, I don't know what you do. You're just going to do a whole lot of other things, including your responsibilities. That's what Paul is doing. He's simply saying, this is the general feel of what the spiritual gifts are. Well, how do we know that? Well, because Paul gives us another list of gifts that resembles but actually differs in some pretty substantial ways. And this is where things get interesting. Look over with me, if you will, at verse 27 excuse me, 28 of chapter 12. Paul writes, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Now this looks pretty different, and we could go on. Let's think about the passage that we read earlier today for our New Testament reading. Paul says, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contribution, leading, mercy. And as we get the sense, as we look through all these lists, and there are so many more in the New Testament, we get this sense that almost anything could be a gift. When Michelle and I were texting back and forth about the title of the sermon, getting in the bulletin, I sent her a gift. And I said it was my spiritual gift. No, actually, Michelle said that. That's probably not a spiritual gift. Anything could be, most things could be a spiritual gift, but probably not that. Anyways, we make lists. We want to quantify things. We try to decipher who has what, etc., etc. But really, that's just a secondary or even tertiary concern to Paul. Here's the important part. Here's the salient point that Paul's trying to make. It's that the diversity of giftings matches the diversity of the body. Just as the role of the hand demands something different than of a spleen, which I don't know what that does, but so the role of believers varies. As we come into the body of Christ, we are given gifts by the Spirit, and no one is left without a function. And for all we know, the body of Christ does not have an appendix, that useless organ that no one really seems to know what it does. There is no one gift that should dominate the body. This is the next point. There is no one gift that should dominate the body. In chapter 14, Paul will seem to say that the Corinthian church is obsessing over tongues. But regardless of what Adam and Eve wanted wisdom and knowledge, Solomon wanted to display, wanted to work miracles. The question is, does your ambition preclude you from enjoying the gift that the Holy Spirit has given you? Do you want so badly to teach or to preach or to lead or to prophesy that you've looked over your ability to be hospitable or to be merciful or to show the gift of faith or to exhort, to help, to administrate? Paul doesn't give or quantify which gifts are more spiritual. But all of them are given by the Spirit for the purpose of building up the body. 
There is no such thing as a useless Christian. There is no such thing as a Christian who cannot support the ministry of the church. Actually, let me put it another way. In and of themselves, every Christian is useless to the body. There is no ultimate superiority. Francis Schaeffer famously said that there were no little people. And he was correct in one way. However, in the church, there are no big people either. Every Christian receives what they have according to the Spirit's will. The Spirit controls the gift. He allocates them as he pleases. Some of the most apparently gifted people in the world have done more harm. Some of the most apparently ungifted people have done far more good than they could ever know. An early church father, John Chrysostom, said on a homil- in a homily on this passage, Whatever measure of the Spirit has been given to you, it is for your benefit. So a small gift. With the Spirit of God, there is no small gift. And as a body of diverse people, we need the gifts of everyone in order to fulfill what he's called us to do. That's the diversity of the gifts. Real quickly, I want us to see the unity of the gifts. Because in the face of an overwhelming diversity, it could be difficult to know what ties them all together. We've got prophecy and tongues, healings, displays of power, helping, administrating. So what unites these? What's the common bond? Even today, churches are divided over what gifts matter, what gifts are continuing. If we can't understand what works together, how they work together, why they work together, then we'll continue in this division. But let's go back to Paul's thesis statement real quickly. It's in verse 7. Paul writes, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The manifestation of the Spirit. You see, spiritual gifts, even though it's the most popular name, it's really not the name that Paul um, prefers He calls them services and workings. But in this passage, Paul calls them the manifestations of the Spirit. And here's what unites that, these gifts. Regard administration, hospitality, faith, generosity, maybe even prophecy. Regardless of the level of influence you maintain because of all that, these are gifts, manifestations of the Spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is through you and through the gifts that he distributes to do working redemption for his people. Through these gifts, whatever you may have, the spirit is working to bring about and expand the kingdom of heaven. He is building up the body of Jesus. He is bringing glory to the father of the Lord Jesus. If you think he isn't, Start praying. Start exercising any gift that you know you have and watch as the Spirit begins to work through you, begins to bring life and light and love through you. And that brings us to our last point, which will be our conclusion as well. This third piece, belonging for a common mission, does not and cannot exist apart from the other two. These three exist as a piece. 
when the Spirit unites you to Christ and joins you to his body, when he allocates those gifts to you, there is a necessary call that accompanies this. The way we normally say this is that you are not only saved from something, but you're also saved for something. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul makes it very clear just what that something is. Remember his thesis statement, each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. As Paul instructs the Corinthians to use their gifts appropriately, that mission, that purpose is the common good. Often when we think about the common good, in our modern times we think of it as some sort of public social equity to maintain order. The common good is that which promotes the best good for everyone else. There's a a notion of sacrifice as well that resides in it, right? It doesn't matter what works for you if it obstructs or impedes the common good. What's better for everyone else, it needs to go. For Paul, though, the issue at hand is not public demand or municipal structure. People try to use this for a whole host of political ideologies and thoughts, but the last thing Paul has in mind is what makes up our political life, our social life. The common good for Paul is first and foremost the glory of the Lord Jesus. It's the building up of the Spirit in the body of Jesus. It's what benefits the body It's what builds up the body. It's what edifies the body. The common good is to make more of Jesus and less of yourself. And this is our mission because it was Jesus' mission. Our mission is Jesus' mission. He came, he died, he resurrected for us, certainly, but he did it to win for himself a kingdom, and a people. And as you encounter fellow believers, your immediate instinct should be one of blessing, one of upbuilding, one of encouraging, of love. Josh commended you all last week that it's a pleasure and a delight to worship and to live among South Charlotte Prez. We've done this so well, but what Paul is saying here is that we can't forget how to do it. We should be evangelizing. We should be reaching out. Yes, yes, yes. But remember what John Piper says. Mission exists because worship doesn't. And as we worship, as we promote the common good, as we live amongst each other, that and that alone, the glory of Jesus is our mission. In the early centuries of Christianity... As the church was beginning to make headway into Roman society, the first, Corinth, uh, first Corinth, Christians, excuse me, first Corinthians, first Christians began exhibiting marvelous displays of love. And it was so noticeable, so conspicuous among their Roman pagan neighbors that Tertullian, who was also a church father, said that the Romans would exclaim with incredulity, look how they love one another. Look how they love one another. And that was their apologetic. That was their witness. That was their evangelism. Look how they love one another. Look how they make much of Jesus and less of themselves. 
But this mission also comes with a warning. I don't want to overburden y'all, but it is crucial to get this. That word common good appears a few other places in the New Testament. But one of those places is in the Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus is preaching, I won't have you turn there, but I'll, I'll read you the passage. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body be thrown into hell. It is better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body go into hell. Brothers and sisters, Jesus follows his own advice. Our belonging to Jesus comes with a warning to anyone who might demean and deride Jesus' body. Because the common good includes ripping out what is harmful. It involves ripping out the rot. The common good involves a holy God who cannot stand the sight of sin. In fact, we have a word for it when a member of the body turns against itself. We have a word for it in English. It's called cancer. I don't want to overburden you, but I want to remind you that Christ does not love to see his body divided. Do not let sin reign in your heart, whether it be through ambition or through power snatching or through manipulation. Belonging to the body of Jesus with the body of Jesus means that it's all about Jesus. And because it's all about Jesus, the best part is that your belonging resides in Jesus' care. We are in Jesus' spirit. We have Jesus' gifts. And we follow along Jesus' mission. His life in the spirit was perfect. His use of his gifts was infallible. And he completed his mission without remainder, without residual. Nothing lacked in him, and therefore for those in Jesus, for you who are in Christ Jesus, nothing lacks for you. He has gone ahead of you. He has gone ahead of us. And because of that, you are free to belong, completely confident in his spirit, his gifts, and his mission. Let's pray. Our God and Father, you who called us out of bondage, out of darkness, out of our own rebellion and sin and death, and joined us to the body of the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for the word of Paul to the Corinthian church. We thank you for the precious reminders that we have that the Spirit is ours that the gifts are ours, and that life in the body is ours. Father, I pray that you would expose our hearts before this word, that you would lay us bare before it, and excise, Lord, the parts that would prove harmful to your, to your body. 
remove the portions that seek to, to benefit the self that take away from the Lord Jesus. Father, by your Spirit, seal in our hearts the glory and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.